let's do this. I'm excited about today. We're talking about testing Quarter Horse. I know all of us have been on the podcast before, so we can just do some quick names and titles, and then we can just launch right into it. Cool. Danielle, you want to start us off? Yeah. Um, I'm Danielle Mitrak. I'm the director of Quarter Horse Engineering. Um, and yeah, I've been with Hermes for about two years. Uh, really excited to be leading the Quarter Horse program and getting getting Mick and Michelle on our plane to fly. We can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Michelle, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, Michelle Charlick, a flight test engineer. That was quick. Uh, Mick Mansfield, director of flight test engineering. And um, we can't wait to get uh, an airplane. Oh, yeah. And I'm Anthony. I am leading up the avionics development and test team here at Hermes. Um, so I'm super excited about this episode of the podcast because we're going to be talking about testing quarter horse, both leading up to flight and then also through the flight test program itself. Um, so I really want to start off with Michelle and Mick talking about, hey, like, what is flight test? What is the flight test org? What do you do here at Hermes? What would you say you do here at Hermes? <laughs> Let, let's start there just to baseline what flight test is and what it means here at Hermes. Okay, you want to take this or should I? Oh, either I'll, way. I'll either take way. it away. Okay, so flight test uh, essentially proves the vehicle in the air. Uh, I think it was uh, it was Wilbur Wright or somebody back in the early days said, you know, you first can, flight you, test first engineers. flight test engineers. Uh, you can prove a lot on the ground, but if you really want to feel, feel what a vehicle does, you got to take it into flight. And all of the all of the great stuff that gets done in, during design, the build, the design, the CAD, all of that kind of stuff comes to a you know comes to a point when we get to flight test and we go up, we push it into flight test, we make sure that all that CAD, all that stuff works, uh, and we test the limits. So we basically take the airplane to its limit and uh, and make sure that it's it's behaving as it should do, okay. and we get a great product. Yeah. So, so a misconception that people might have is, you know, hey, you have all these engineers who are building this plane. Like, why aren't they testing it? Like, why do you have this separate flight test organization? What mm -hmm. is the, like, skill set and expertise that you guys bring to the table that the engineers might not necessarily have? Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a complete uh, discipline approach. So, really, the flight test discipline itself, it's the entire spectrum of planning, conducting, test, analyzing test data and the reporting on the results mm -hmm. and you know so such that it's a it's a uh, meaningful decision making mm -hmm. tool and going through the whole process it's it's a very specialized approach just because airplanes are very specialized things they're airplanes a system of systems and an aerodynamic eggshell mm -hmm. and having the you know understanding all the nuances all the depth all the complexities of that system system of systems, mm -hmm. how it can react in a very complex environment is, is really a specialty of test. And it's a specialty of engineering. Really uh, flight test engineering at, at its core is a, is a risk management management philosophy. So throughout the whole process, you're looking at what, uh, what level of risk do we have? What level of risk are we willing to accept and how can we leverage our engineering design analysis tools, all that, everything we have at our disposal to maybe design out some of those risks or identify the ones that we need to accept and take forward. And when, when we, we know those, we know those consciously and we can make an informed decision on here's how we'll manage it, manage it in terms of procedures, in terms of design, in terms of flight test approach and plan it and go. Oh yeah. So, you know, it's, it's design, risk management, and execution. You mentioned something that I really like, which is like, hey, figuring out what your risk posture is and then being able to rely on the engineering tools and to be able to really quantify that decision-making process mm -hmm. as well. Um, so I know that you guys work a lot with the engineering team as well. Um, Danielle, do you mind talking a little bit about what flight test looks like in terms of how the engineering org uses a lot of the guidance that they provide to just iterate quickly on even things from design to planning and things on that front too? Yeah, so the engineering team, especially here, I mean the approach that Hermes is taking is much more as much closer to kind of the new space approach to aviation. So it's really important that we have the flight test team involved in all of our design reviews very early. I mean, pre-design review while we're trying to design what the system does. Um, we need to have an understanding of what, what inherent risk we're building into the system so that they're informed and are bought into that risk posture before we're trying to fly. And they're like, no, we can't we can't have uh, this type of system operating on the aircraft. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm in meetings with, like, Mick and Michelle are in engineering meetings daily. Uh, and Constantly. Constantly. <laughs> um, providing input to uh, 
how the systems, how the aircraft's going to respond in flight, what what sort of problems we're going to face operating on a range, operating the aircraft generally, um, and informing uh, what Hermes has, which is a lot. We have a, a lot of aircraft engineer, aerospace engineers and people that have operated and designed airplanes before, but we have a lot of rocket engineers too, mm-hmm. um, and getting them up to speed on all of the the aviation specific pieces that they haven't thought about since college at times. Oh yeah. Are there specific examples of things that uh, you immediately jump to and say like, Hey, based off of all of these experiences in the flight test world and then coming to Hermius, which, you know, is, is a mix of lots of different engineers from lots of different backgrounds. Um, were there specific things that Nick, you, Michelle, or even Danielle uh, came into and say like, Oh, this, here's a new way that maybe Hermes isn't thinking about yet that was immediately obvious to you with your flight test background? There's a, <clears throat> and I think it's, it's great. You know, what, uh, what Danielle brings up is, is there are a lot of, uh, a lot of aerospace engineers here that have, have spent a lot of time at, mm-hmm. uh, at new space. Uh, and then of course it, it, it's sort of just the way you think about things occasionally. The, the biggest one that I always got when we were very early on in the design process was, and I can't remember which one of the propulsion team it was, but they basically said, you want to throttle the engine? And it's like, yeah, because we don't just keep it going all the time. We're not trying to get out of the atmosphere. We can't drive, you know, we want to drive around in it. And uh, so those little different approaches mm-hmm. like that kind of make, you know, little, it's little nuances that maybe some of the design team aren't thinking about because they come from that background mm-hmm. that we do think about. Uh, so, you know, throttling the engine, moving stuff around, mm-hmm. that, that's the other part, yeah. Another big part, Danielle, you alluded to it with working on the range is a lot of the external work that y'all do as well. Um, Everything from, you know, working with RSO, the range safety folks, um, and really even people outside of Hermes itself. Mm -hmm. Do you mind talking Mm -hmm. about the bodies that y'all interact with outside of Hermes too? Sure. Um, I mean, I'll I'll take the the regulatory, Michelle, and you Mm -hmm. can take the operational. How's that sound? Um, So... We're obviously putting the, uh, the vehicle up into the national airspace system. Um, we have to cooperate with everything that already exists within that system. So a lot of my work at, at, uh, at my level is dealing with the, the regulatory authorities, the FAA, um, the other regulatory authorities that feed the FAA, so uh, SAE, um, Society of Flight Test Engineers, Society of Experimental Test Pilots, so that we feed the industry to, to get to us uh, to this new space where we're going because we are building a Mach 5 vehicle. And one of the things that you know, Mach 5 vehicles do is they eat up a lot of ground very quickly. Um, nobody's really prepared for that yet in the aerospace mm-hmm. world. In the, in the rocket world, sure, people are used to things going Mach 5. Airplanes, not so much. We are, we are breaking ground every day. And it's, that's what makes my job really interesting. Uh, from an operational perspective, Michelle? Yeah, operational perspective, it's look, working with the range, working with RSO, working with the folks we're going to be interacting with. What, term- is a, what is an RSO? Range Safety Officer. Yes. Yeah. We, I know. We, 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 love love our we love acronyms. <laughs> yes. gotta, I'm going to try to call them out as we say them, but I probably will Do forget. it. <laughs> yes, keep us honest. Yeah. We'll keep you honest. Yeah, yeah always. Um, so working, working with the range, working with uh, the control room, figuring out uh, how are we going to architect to operate. So it's not just a question of global FAA. It's a question of you know, what, what airspace are we operating locally? Who owns it? Can we get the frequencies? Can we um, make sure that we have those? And we have a range times. We have the, the plans of where we can fly, where we can't fly. And you know, sometimes to, to, to a very specific level of detail that uh, we can then develop our flight plans and, and go from there. Yeah, Michelle, I'm, I'm glad you work with the RSOs just because I've went through RCC 319, which is a spectral <laughs> flight termination system. Yes. And I'm like, oh man, <laughs> I'm, I'm not jealous of the people who have to interact with these folks mm-hmm. day in and day out. Yeah. Yeah. But really it, it's, it's communicating, um, you know, as Danielle said, you know, what, what is our system? What is our risk posture mm-hmm. on that system? And a, you know, a lot of things we're doing are relatively unconventional mm-hmm. in the aerospace industry mm-hmm. and being able to communicate that, get, get the external buy-in, you know, where we're going to operate, you know, who we're going to be operating with and have them, you know, on the same page in terms of our, our goals, our objectives and our, our risk posture is very, very important. And that's coordination that happens, you know, months and years before you go and, and get your first flight. Oh yeah. I, I think that you mentioned that the things we're trying to do here are pretty unconventional, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is immediately obvious as soon as you start getting into our program and things are weird and, you know, the FAA doesn't really know how to mm-hmm. handle 
a plane like ours. Uh, something I found is we find ourselves at this weird Venn diagram intersection where, hey, you know, we don't have the operational complexity of, say, a rocket. We don't have cryogenics or anything like that. So we have some flexibility to iterate a lot, crawl, walk, run into some of our testing. Um, but on the other side, you also don't have a pilot on this platform. So you can actually put a little bit more risk into that flight test program as well. Um, so you kind of have this pretty wide trade space in terms of test philosophy or even like how you actually want to test this vehicle. Danielle, do you mind taking a second and just saying, like, what makes Quarter Horse a weird airplane to think about, both on the engineering side, but even when we out are out here testing this vehicle? Like, what makes Quarter Horse unique? What makes it the same? And then I would love it if, Michelle, uh, you and Mick talked about the flight test vantage point of what makes Quarter Horse unique and what makes Quarter Horse the same as other flight test programs you guys have worked on before. Yeah, so from the engineering perspective, it's it's the breadth of, of range that Quarter Horse operates in. Um, because we go from takeoff to Mach 5 to landing, uh, that's that's the the difference. And and engineering wise, like speaking, yeah, specifically engineering wise, and, and a little outside of the, the test environment, it's a it's an entirely transient problem. We have no steady state operation um, in our mission. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna use a flight test word in our flight envelope and not in our trajectory. Oh is, hey. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Well done. Uh, <laughs> you trained me well. Flight <laughs> envelope. This is how we gel as a team. Yeah. Yeah. We, we talk Slowly. about the same things. <laughs> Slowly hive mind. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, so it's that, working. Yeah. I mean, it, it is a it is a flight envelope. It is an airplane that mm-hmm. uh, we when we're when we're really trying to like hit this thing up to up to Mach five, it's gonna it's gonna follow it. Mm-hmm. Pre-planned flight profile, which I would I would say is likely a like is like a trajectory, <laughs> but we do have a flight envelope that the thing op- operates in. Um, so, so the transient nature of the problem allows us to uh, flex in certain ways, and and it's also like a just a an aircraft that is very highly integrated. Um, our the the length of our the root of our wing is a third at least of the, the length of the fuselage. We, mm-hmm. we don't have as many um, clear structural interfaces where you can have a separate, entirely separate group operating on something. And, and our teams have to work really closely together to get to get a, an airplane like Quarter Horse in the air. Yeah. Um, and I also kind of want to ask you to flex a little bit of some of your background testing some stuff at previous places you worked on um, and say like, hey, what are the ch- some of the challenges that you expect to be similar when we start getting into some of the subsystem testing here at Quarter Horse yeah. and what you anticipate on being different too? Yeah, so I mean, um, it, testing an aircraft engine is a, a little easier in some ways and harder in others. Like, So I worked at um, Astra, which is a small launch provider out of the, the Bay Area of uh, California. And we did a lot of like stage, I, I was working on the upper stage system, did a lot of stage testing, um, which involved engine testing there. And you're behind a big concrete wall. So if something like the ener- the stored energy of the system is higher, so it's um, less safe in some ways, but you have big, big walls. And in, in this, in like, I, I remember interviewing at Hermius, we had the seed round engine, the shipping container that's behind us out at PDK still, still operational and... Uh, we were just like standing off to the side behind just this a couple feet. Just back. like yeah, just <laughs> yeah. Like, like I mean, like a safe distance, mm-hmm. but like enough that you can feel the vibration of mm-hmm. even that little engine. Mm-hmm. And then the afterburner kicks in, and Glenn remembers seeing me jump because I <laughs> I am a jumper, I'm a jumpy person. Um, and so that like loud like pop when the mm-hmm. the AB kicks on, like it's different, but you can like be closer to it. You mm-hmm. can kind of see into it, which is like without cameras, which is uh, a little different. Um, but in terms of testing quarter horse and what'll be maybe easier, maybe harder, uh, slightly low pressure, lower pressure systems. So we can do more things a little closer. Um, and we're being very iterative. It's so we, we should be able to get validation on smaller systems as we go. Um, we're building out a full, uh, fluid system test bed, um, a, a pseudo iron bird to be able to do a lot of that testing, uh, as we go, that'll do a lot of avionics testing and, mm-hmm. and fluid systems testing. Um, so the system, when it gets put onto the aircraft, should be should be largely validated. Uh, a lot of that happens in in other organizations as well, or other like other places I've been, um, but maybe not as completely. Um, so that's yeah, it's a little bit of mm-hmm. a bit of that. Sweet. 
Michelle, I want to ask you the same question in terms of what makes Quarter Horse unique, what makes Quarter Horse not unique, and then talk a little bit about your previous test background and you know what you anticipate bringing to the Hermes team and maybe what's going to be different about testing Quarter Horse. Yeah, yeah. So Quarter Horse, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a very ambitious program uh, in terms of the a flight test buildup, where I say we're, we're a bit more aggressive than most platforms that I've previously worked on, mm-hmm. which is to be expected. This is this is entirely research and development type vehicle, whereas you know some of those were more certification type um, type projects. So the the level of system maturity, fidelity, and also the the entire goal of the flight test program differs quite a bit. But the fundamental flight test process is is the same. Mm-hmm. You're going to go and you're going to identify your risks. You're going to go do your planning and try to manage and mitigate um, those risks to an acceptable level, and go and make an informed decision to test. Mm-hmm. So in that respect, going and and executing a flight test program, it's you follow that process, mm-hmm. and and the the process is what it is for. For a reason, you know, you've got 120 years of flight test experience back from from the rights, uh, you know, becoming the first aerospace engineers, the first test pilots, mm-hmm. and the first flight test engineers, and you know all the amazing things that they accomplished. But uh, setting out that disciplined approach and following that disciplined approach, you know, really you can apply it very easily between uh, mm-hmm. one aircraft to another. Mm-hmm. Just a question of uh, of aggressiveness and, and risk posture. Oh yeah, and. Uh, Related question there is, you know, in terms of what we really want to be getting out of Quarter Horse, um, it's not necessarily like a, a fighter where, mm-hmm. you know, we were anticipating a pilot doing, you know, mm-hmm. a, a slew of different <laughs> testing, mm-hmm. uh, an aircraft that we have to maintain for extended periods of time. Really, it's a vehicle with a pretty small sure. lifespan. How does that affect how we think about flight tests, whether it's coming up with test cars or test points? How, how does that change the approach for testing Quarter Horse, specifically getting into flight tests? I, I, I think I can take this on. And this one kind of goes all the way back to the conversations that Danielle and I have right from the, from the get-go. Normally, you'd certify an airplane, you know, if we were going to take this into commercial service, and we will take Halcyon into commercial service. Mm-hmm. So this is something we have to you know, think forward to for 20,000 cycles and 20 years' worth of, of life safely. Uh, with quarter horse, we can, we can iterate quickly. We can move it. And, and we know that the, the primary purpose of quarter horse is basically to wrap an airframe around the engine, our TBCC engine, and get that into flight as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing we don't have to worry about too much is putting a pilot into the airplane. The, you know, the other part of, of the flight test brethren are the test pilots, our meat servos. And <laughs> what we don't have to worry about don't is putting that. that meat servo into the, into the controversial flight. Controversial term. Yeah, <laughs> controversial term. Into the flight deck. Um, so... We can move a lot quicker, we can iterate, mm-hmm. and we really don't have to make quarter horse last for a long time. So we can, we can design it to you know, lower minimums, it doesn't have to last for as long, uh, and we can move quick, I mean, we can move really quickly. And, and interestingly, one of the things for me, Danielle, thank you, 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 know, you set them up, I'll knock them down. Um, you mentioned the flight envelope, we have a flight envelope. I think this is the first flight test program where I've ever actually pushed the airplane right to the edge of its flight envelope deliberately mm-hmm. because we don't have a flight test pilot on board. We don't have a crew on board. Uh, we know the airplane's not designed to last for a million years, so we're okay with that. And we can push the, you know, we can push the vehicle very quickly to a limit. Um, and if it goes into the desert, and again, this is why we work with the, 400, you know, the 412 and the other test wings, if we push it into the desert, hey, no harm, no foul. I've definitely noticed at Hermes we have a lot of different levels of the crawl, walk, run, whether it's quarter horse, mm-hmm. dark horse, halcyon, uh, and then even within quarter horse, the different tails. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even tail one intentionally is not going to be a hypersonic vehicle. Right. Um, do you mind talking about why we decided to make that decision and talk a little bit more about what the scope of tail one actually is for us? Yeah, um, I'll take that one to start and then you guys can jump in. The the fundamental thing is that we have to build an airplane, a hypersonic airplane that also can be operated at low speeds. So we have to get really good at takeoff and landing. We have to get really good at, uh, yeah, working with the range and, and operating the vehicle, uh, in, in the low, lower speed regime. Like we'll, we'll be there a lot. So we have to be able to do it. Um, and then we can start getting some, some data on our aircraft, uh, reaching Mach 1, reaching transonic if, as long as we, don't lawn dart it before then. Um, and even if we did lawn dart it at, at right. before we hit Mach 1, I don't like the Mark 1 vehicle, the tail, tail mm-hmm. one, uh, the first aircraft we build will still be successful yep. if we can get it, get it off the ground. Yep. 
Absolutely. Yeah, the, the faster that we can get real data in real-world mm-hmm. operational conditions, mm-hmm. it's, it's worth or 20 million hours of simulation and modeling. Oh, yeah. You know, one, one flight test, <laughs> one, yeah. one hour flight test will, will give you that. Was, that's it, that's the end all be all that that's truth yeah i do i do want to talk more about all the subsystem testing that we're doing leading up to that first flight um but i think that hermes does not shy away from being able to iterate off of new data mm-hmm. um i mean even take the the state of the company uh video that we had at the end of last year like quarter horse today looks very different than it did right. a year ago and i think that comes from being willing to go out and mm-hmm. hey we're, we're not gonna just stick to that sunk cost fallacy right. Given this new data, given this new information, we're willing to actually iterate mm-hmm. and, and use that to make a better plane, right. um, which I think is very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so d- let's talk about some of the upcoming tests that we have mm-hmm. leading up to uh, the actual vehicle integration and eventually flying quarter horse. Um, so I know that all of you are very involved in all of them. Um, so I, I guess we can just kind of list them through and talk a little bit about what it is, what value we get out of it, and maybe describe it a little bit for folks who aren't familiar with what that test sure. is. Um, so Danielle, you mentioned the Iron Bird. Mm-hmm. Um, so w- what is an Iron Bird? What value do you actually get out of it? What yeah. teams use it? Let's start there. So an Iron Bird can be uh, like the the first image I have is at an internship um, at one point and saw like a a big steel full full steel airframe with representative control surfaces. Um, mm-hmm. Sorry, inertia inertia mm-hmm. representative control surfaces um, that operate and and move systems and and run mission simulations. So. Um, put a flight profile in and, and move the thing or yep. have a pilot operating or an operator operating and, and test control surfaces and, and the, the hydraulic system, making sure that the uh, system can keep up with all of the inputs that a pilot is going to put into it. Um, it's also using the flight-like electronics, and so all of the avionics systems are integrated. Try to keep it as, a, as representative of the vehicle as possible so that anything that you find there, you can, you can design out of operate of occurring on the aircraft and anything you like. And if you made changes later, you don't want, you don't want to be finding a, a line length, a, a pressure drop mm-hmm. down, down the length of a longer line on the aircraft. The first time you want to find that on the, on the iron bird. Um, so fluid systems team uses it. The avionics team use it. The flight test team will. Mm-hmm. certainly be very interested in, in data yep. coming out of that as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, you mentioned the avionics, like all the GNC yes. sim work that goes into that is, I've noticed is like, is like one flavor of avionics, and then there's mm-hmm. the whole mm-hmm. network stack telemetry, which actually brings us to, Michelle, what you spent a lot of time doing on some of the surrogate flight testing oh, work yes. as well. Do, so what is surrogate flight testing for the folks who don't know? Yeah. And, and I feel like we, we've talked a lot about this, and it's actually pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do you yeah, want to explain that one? Yeah, surrogate testing is, is very exciting. Um, so what surrogate testing is, is you're you're taking a piece of your avionics hardware or other piece of hardware, whatever you want, but you're you're hosting it on a, another aircraft platform. So we're developing things right now for quarter horse that'll fly on quarter horse. But before quarter horse is ready to fly, we want to get information on how our navigation system works in flight, how our telemetry link works in flight. You know, all these things that can that can inform our design decisions right now and our architecture decisions right now and can de-risk aspects of the things we, we find for the first time on first flight of quarter horse. We can we can uh, spread those out over you know a, a span of months. <laughs> so okay, we're, we're going to learn this about this subsystem, that subsystem, and how we integrate all of them together in that complex aircraft in that complex flight environment so make uh, eliminate the limit the number of unknowns that we take on on uh, first flight of tail one yeah and you know all in that it's it's a very exciting work because i mean you can tell how excited i am just talking about (laughs) it but it's 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 our first uh, real hardware getting into the air and it's a significant milestone for the program, for the company, you know, just, just even there, it's, you know, that's where you know, we, we become an avionics company. Mm-hmm. We have avionics hardware in flight and, and there you go. And also using that as the opportunity to uh, start uh, bringing up and, and training the team in flight test operations and real-time telemetry and building our, our entire cap- capability and, and knowledge base in our team to prepare for flight test for, program for, for the whole flight test program yeah yeah uh, one, one so piece, exciting yeah one piece that i'll add there is it's not just the avionics that's on on the ground it's all, or on the, in the air it's also the avionic mm-hmm. system the yeah. the communicate the flight deck the flight deck, the flight every, deck every, too. Every, yes. everything that's on on the ground side which as 
an uh, remotely piloted system. We have we have mm-hmm. a system in a, pro, a piece of our system in the air and a piece of our system on right. like our flight decks on the ground, and so we have to verify all of the communications yep. that we have between the aircraft and mm-hmm. and the in the air and the the ground system, and we can do that before we have a quarter horse in the air. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, we're we're testing part of the quarter horse system before the quarter horse aircraft part of the, of mm-hmm. the quarter horse system is ready to fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a it's huge, absolutely huge. And I think, as Michelle said earlier on, you know, the aircraft is a is a system of systems wrapped in a in a, in a thin aerodynamic eggshell. It's, it's I an should, aerodynamic I should, eggshell. I should use that one more often. Um, so we've, we're already an engine company. We've, we've designed the engine. We've built the engine. We've operated the engine. We know it works, it's, and it works beautifully. Now we're going to become an avionics company, and we're going to test out all of that contr- command and control, telemetry, and everything else. And then, you know, again, crawl, walk, run fashion, then we become an aircraft company mm-hmm. where we integrate all of those systems of systems into each other and it goes to fly. And that's just fantastic. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. On the becoming an aircraft company, mm-hmm. there's a bunch of testing we're doing on that front, too. Sure. Uh, ranging from, you know, landing gear drop testing to uh, ground vibration testing. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you mind, Danielle? With the structures yeah. background, you might be the person most apt to talk about this stuff. What yeah. are those testings? There, what do you learn from it? And how does it inform quarter horse design? Yes, yeah, so there's a lot of them. Um, the landing gear system testing it's a is like a, a system that we're that's highly coupled between the structures team and our fluid systems team that's that's actuating that system. Um, so there are deployment tests. There's actuator tests on that. There's drop testing to identify how the landing gear system responds as you're coming down in landing. Um, I guess that's redundant, but yes. Like, so we'll we'll get we'll get information about that. Um, we'll have structural testing of different components. Um, we'll have like our like first, I guess, the Elevon or aileron test rig is um, close to having its like final integration to get that test that test off. Uh, you mentioned ground vibration testing GBT that'll give us uh, responses of the vehicle, um, and that's really kind of the the last test after just before we roll out um, as well as like a full structural ATP. So we'll take uh, acceptance test procedure. So um, that'll take the aircraft and, and put load into the wings, stress the aircraft the way that we expect it to be stressed as, as close as we expect it to be stressed in flight to verify that it won't break apart when you take off. Gotcha. And then, there's, of course, like, hey, you know, we, we finish all these testing, we roll out. Do we go out and just go as fast as we can? Absolutely. What's the next step? Absolutely. Just That's it. <laughs> send it. Send it. <laughs> no, so once we get all that done, uh, as Daniel said, you know, GVT is probably the last one before we roll the airplane out. Um, then there's, we've still got a, a whole bunch of end-to-end checks to do. Um, the vehicle is a system of systems. We have to make sure all those systems talk to each other. We have to put them in a realistic environment. So we're going to go through something uh, called end-to-end checks, which is basically when the vehicle gets switched on for the first time and we make sure that the engine starts up, we can shut it down, we can can control it, the flight deck works, the ground control station, Um, all of that good stuff. And then we take it into a low-speed taxi where it moves under its own power for the Mm -hmm. first time. Uh, So it's now taxiing with the engine going. We've got to make sure the wheels work, the brakes come on when we expect them to, they don't, and all that good stuff at low speed. Then we get into a high-speed taxi scenario. We'll take it almost up to flight speed, to rotation speed, uh, so that we're starting to get aerodynamic effect on the airplane. Maybe not enough to get it off the ground, but certainly enough to put some air under the wings so that we start getting lift and generating information for the flight sciences folks. Mm -hmm. And then, and only then, if that all looks good and everything comes together, We'll take it out to uh, to the range and we'll put it down a runway and we'll make sure that it takes off. And and that may take a while. Uh, we may do a few more high speed taxi runs, uh, you know, while we're trying to get it into flight. Uh, but eventually, that's all going to lead to the airplane coming off, taking off, and and flying around, um, which is going to be very exciting. And the other thing that does, of course, is it it prepares us as a team to go into that flight. It prepares the test pilots, the test engineers, the support engineers, everybody back at the factory. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're always always learning. You know, we're going to be pretty hard on brakes. We're going to be pretty hard on the tires. So it just all those reps that we get in, it helps us. Everything helps. Oh, yeah. You yeah. mentioned, like, just getting everyone trained. I mm-hmm. think there's, of course, the logistical side of training. I think there's also probably a culture side of testing as well. For I mean, sure. yes. we all saw how excited Michelle got talking about surrogate flight testing. <laughs> but I think some of the most fun stories come out of, of testing, um, both 
whether it's prep for a mm -hmm. test or the test itself, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's always fun when something crazy happens. Uh, it depends. Usually, yeah. usually avionics is like, we're glad we got the data system working and now something crazy uh -huh. happened. Like, yeah. So this, this, this is, you know, Danielle, you're going to hate yeah. me for saying this. It's um, your perspective. This, my perspective is uh, like, it is actually a little exciting for avionics um, when we have like a mad dash to the finish line and then something breaks because it's like, man, like we did it, you know, we burned mm -hmm. some midnight oil and now we learned the thing. Oh, um, I, I am always happy when, oh, yeah. we, when we learn the thing too, it, but it is, like, it, <laughs> it's always a bittersweet. It's moment, always though. a little bittersweet. Oh yeah. yeah. I, th I mean, I, think, I love breaking things. It's super fun. Oh yeah. yeah. I think like the one that comes to mind is, I think like it was like Deandre and I, like this is maybe like a, a year ago. Um, because of course we had like the whole Notre Dame test mm -hmm. campaign, mm -hmm. um, but I think we were just like everything that could have been broken was broken. Um, but we like have it just in time. It's working. First mm -hmm. day of test, and we're testing a plastic inlet, and we learn very quickly yeah. that that doesn't work. And it's just like yeah. testing in like informs iteration, kind of like we were saying before. Um, but it is just like we were just like DeAndre and I were just like high fiving each other. We were just like, oh man, we like we did it. Like we mm -hmm. made it. We learned uh -huh. something, and now we're like that's much closer to the right solution. Yeah. Um, I'm sure y'all have a bunch of fun test stories. I, I want to just kind of give the floor to y'all and see like, what are, what are the fun ones that come to mind uh, that you would like to share here? I think anytime you're, you're pushing a limit, those can be fun. Um, they're the ones that you prepare for the most. So whenever, whenever you're pushing the vehicle beyond its normal envelope that the customer's going to take it to, mm -hmm. and, and you're pushing it to where the regulatory authorities mm -hmm. want you to take mm -hmm. it to, it, that's always a little, it concentrates your mind um, because we really are taking the vehicle to its limits mm -hmm. at that point. Um, no matter how much you plan for those things, there will always be something that, you know, just catches your attention. Um, the, the ones that I always can think of and Michelle can is probably going to go on the same track of flutter tests mm. where we're actually yes. deliberately stimulating the vehicle to, to almost come apart. Uh, and, ex, and, and flutter for, for, the, for the audience is, is basically a dynamic condition where the airplane starts to vibrate uh, and it can go into a resonant mode very quickly and then essentially you get what's called explosive flutter and the airplane comes apart um, and hopefully the crew eject. Um, so... Again, when you're, when you're doing those tests, you prepare them for them very carefully. You prepare for them, you know, almost to the second uh, of, of what you're doing mm -hmm. at any point during that test. But then, of course, something won't be right. And, and the classic one is we operate in the atmosphere. Well, the atmosphere doesn't like the 1976 U.S. standard atmosphere. It doesn't, it doesn't go down by two degrees every thousand mm -hmm. feet. Sometimes there is an inversion. Sometimes there's a gust. You know, and if you're doing something where you're right on the edge of the envelope already and you catch an inversion, whoops, we just blew through the envelope. And at that point, it's like, hey, we shouldn't be doing that. So it, those ones get your attention, uh, but they're the most fun to do. Mm -hmm. They really are. Because you come back down and, and you go, yeah, I'm alive. It's great. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're really executing at your highest capability mm -hmm. you know, in, in terms of preparation as a team, uh, cohesiveness, focus, and planning and execution. And... Yeah, there, there are a lot of exciting flight test stories, but I'd, I'd say probably the most rewarding testing is the ones that you, you do all that planning and preparation for. And you know, unexpected things happen. You handle those as a team and you come back and really the best days are the boring days, <laughs> I would say, because that, that means that we've, we've uh, properly uh, un understood and planned for the potential unknowns mm -hmm. and had our had our uh, our uh, our plans for what we would do if we encountered those unknowns and then uh, executed those and came back and test another day oh yeah that's exciting stuff so i think something that um both of you mentioned also was just like you know getting this team like used to flight test program which you know admittedly this team especially as a company we haven't had that experience mm -hmm. of doing um and then of course like you know we see these other flight test programs um many of which are very expensive, many of which take a very long time uh, to actually execute the entire flight test program. Right. Um, how do you think about here at Hermius, you know, in the spirit of being lean, moving quickly, having the purest form of the flight test program, mm -hmm. um, both like how do we think about things in terms of like what that flight test program needs to look like that might be unconventional? Um, and then, of course, like kind of a t related question is, you know, coming to Hermius, especially being a startup, I'm, I'm sure that 
it would be surprising to me if neither of you were nervous about like, oh man, like we're gonna we're gonna do this as like a, a new company. Um, what are you personally nervous about, or maybe even worried about? Like, hey, like this is something mm -hmm. that like we're super excited for, maybe, but um, like it, it's a little nerve wracking in terms of getting the flight test for the first sure. time. Yeah, yeah, always, and and there's there's always that tension mm -hmm. in being being a flight test professional, of being aware of, of all the things that can go wrong, sure. and planning for them, managing them, and mitigating them, and then at the end of the day, accepting what you can't mm -hmm. plan, manage, or, or mitigate out. Um, in terms of the startup mentality, you know, there's there's a lot of um, aggression. You know, there's there's a lot of willingness to you know, get to hardware and, mm -hmm. and push and, and see how far it can go and, and the acceptance of, of breaking things. So I'd say organizationally, it's, 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 it's aggressive and that's our posture and, and that's what, that's what we need. That's a differentiator mm -hmm. for our team. That's part of what, what makes our, our approach so valuable and how we're driving down times mm -hmm. for design, build, test, fly, and then design, build, test, fly again. So, you know, in, in that, you know, it's understanding and, and accepting that mindset and furthering that mindset, seeing the value, it, it, it's a tool. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're using the tool appropriately, but that also brings in some other considerations for, for flight tests. We know that going in, we're accepting a higher risk posture. And you know, as we, as we go through, that's something that we, we document, plan, mm -hmm. communicate. And at the end of the day, you know, get everybody's buy-in and go forward, accept it. So, but so part of the, uh, Part of what's what's really exciting about the approach is that everything that we're doing is is essentially envelope expansion. You know, we are we are continually pushing the limit, pushing the boundary, you know, pretty much on on every flight for mm -hmm. Border Horse. So in in that, it really takes takes us back to the you know, research development aircraft you know, in 1950s, 1960s. You know, the X-15 type program. Mm -hmm. You know, where they're every single flight they were doing something new and innovative uh, you know not only you know in that configuration but in terms of airspeed in terms of um, sensor packages they're flying on the airplane uh, just phenomenal but but very aggressive and for a purpose mm -hmm. and that's something that's not very prevalent in today's you know aerospace environment because there hasn't been been a purpose or a driving desire or a goal for that and here you know, that's that's part of our objective and part of our approach and part of what's so exciting about it because it is that continual balance of you know what, what can we achieve and how far can we push and how can we we do it in the most um, most effective most efficient manner as well something you mentioned which i really like is having that startup mentality which really hasn't existed in a long time in this flight test world mm -hmm. how does that extend outside of hermes though so when you are working with the ranges when you are working with regulatory agencies do they respond well to this startup mentality that we have, or is that, is that difficult or is that very difficult? From my perspective, it's very difficult. Mm -hmm. um, I think from a regulatory basis, the, and as Michelle says, since the fifties, we really haven't gone faster. I think as, as AJ mentioned during the, the state of the company, you know, since the 1950s, airplanes have not got gotten faster that we've stayed at the same 0.85 Mac for 60 years, almost, you know, the Concorde was the only exception to that rule. And Concorde required a lot of regulatory compensation to get it through the regulations. The regulations themselves are well developed, but they were starting to be, de they, those regulations that we certify a lot of the airplanes to were started in the 40s. Mm -hmm. You know, they're 80 years old and they haven't evolved as fast as the industry's evolved. And they certainly aren't evolving as fast as we are moving. And for, through no fault of their own, the regulatory bodies cannot keep up with what industry is doing right now. Uh, industry has the capabilities. We see SpaceX, we see you know Blue Origin, we see those guys. They have the capability to move far faster than the regulatory industry or the regulatory uh, bodies can keep up. So, both technologically and regulatory, we are mm -hmm. way ahead of what the the authorities can cope with, and and we're just pushing them even further. Uh, that's something that's going to have to change within the aerospace industry. Is you know these bodies have to be able to keep up with us. Yeah, Michelle, you mentioned the X fifteen and. Daniel, er, Danielle, earlier you were mentioning us not being shy to, you know, make some holes in the desert because we are an unpiloted platform. I think the example that comes to mind is, hey, going from whether it's tail one to tail two or tail two three to tail two to tail mm -hmm. three, 
you know, if we make a hole in the desert, mm -hmm. how do we actually recover from that? Um, it's easy for us to say like, all right, sure. we're, here we are, let's try again. But yeah. making sure everyone else is on board, like what, what actually happens but I think, when you crash a vehicle? Sure, yeah. Um, from, from that perspective, it depends whether we, we knew we were going to crash it mm -hmm. or whether it was something that was completely unplanned. And we mentioned the flight envelope. We know in theory, when we've done all the analysis, when we've done all the ground vibration testing, we know where the structural limit of that vehicle is we can push the vehicle right up to the edge of the structural limit because we don't have a pilot on board. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so we can, we can push very, very close to our limits. Um, if for whatever reason we push close to that limit and it comes apart and it ends up in the desert, we can say, yeah, you know what? We knew it was going to do that because we were very close <laughs> to the limit. So we're within the margin of error. If it comes apart when we're doing slow speed taxiing and one of the wheels falls off, well, that may not be so good. So mm -hmm. that's a, that's actually a harder thing to recover from than a planned event where we, we're almost certain that we're going to do some damage. So it, it, again, the way Michelle described it, it's risk posture. It's what we take into the, into the flight test, what risk we assume, and how well we've codified that risk. Again, we can, we can be in flight very quickly after we've had a mishap as long as we can explain what we've done. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's, that's again, some of the approach that we have to take as an engineering company is having that track and traceability to be able to get us mm -hmm. to that standard where we can just yeah, say, yep, this is what we did, here's the data. And uh, we knew it was probably gonna do that. Yeah. So Danielle, this might be a question for you. In terms of as we go through the build process, as we mm -hmm. go through the, en like, the engineering steps, what are some of the ways that we're tracking here at Hermius, like this is exactly what the state of the plane is. This is what's going on the plane. So then when mm -hmm. we're getting into flight and we get some data, bringing that back and really being able to say exactly what went wrong. Yeah, so uh, we have an ERP system, an engineering resource. Planning. Planning. Oh, yeah. no. I don't know. Another acronym. Another, Another acronym. acronym. <laughs> uh, we have a means of tracking the work that happens on, on the airplane and, and the, uh, the work that happens on really any critical engineering system. So um, it's something we're developing directly because the tools that exist need modification for what we need it to do anyway. Um, and, and we're working through that process right now. But it'll track the part number that we get in, the serial number that is associated with it, what serial number ends up on the airplane, uh, any work notes that are associated with that. So that if, if we see a a failure we don't ex we don't expect um, specifically we can track down where it came from and explain why it happened so that we can get back into the air. Mm -hmm. And I think on the note of you know unexpected failures, all, something that always comes up is safety or, mm -hmm. uh, or or even mission assurance, which I know is something that we talk about often at Hermes. Mm -hmm. Do you mind drawing the distinction between the two, specifically for the quarter horse program, and maybe we can talk a little bit about how Hermes thinks about safety and making sure as we go through subsystem testing as well as flight test, how do we think about safety here? Yeah, so there's a big difference between um, safety and programmatic risk. Uh, so carrying something that we'll accept is risk to damage a piece of the engine or uh, damage a piece of the airframe. Uh, take, take hardware and test it to its limit so we know exactly where it is. Uh, what we won't accept is safety risk. So risk to personnel. That's that's not um, that's why we don't have a pilot on board and uh, not something anybody wants to um, have happen. Like it, it happens in engineering, and we absolutely do not want that to happen here. Um, not that anybody wants it to happen where they where they yep. where it has happened in the past. Um, so safety is always front of mind, and we have anytime we have a, a test we do test readiness review or, and make sure that the safety aspects of that that are captured and prevented. Um, any, I mean, engineering organizations document any near miss you have so you learn from the things that you, you got lucky on. Mm -hmm. um, we do that here as well. Uh, but we try to be forward looking and engineer out safety risks so that we can put risk into the hardware system so we can learn uh, and learn the right thing, um, not, not spend as much time in analysis paralysis, finding, uh, solving problems that aren't actually problems. Do you guys have thoughts on that one? 
Yeah, I think that's yeah. uh, that's that's pretty much in, in line with what I'm thinking. Um, we go through all of those processes. You know, we do the validation, the verification of all of the systems and everything else. But <clears throat> what we're also doing by the time we get to flight test is is threat error management. Um, so it, it becomes more of a of a case of we're starting to manage the safety aspects. I think you know programmatically what we're doing. Uh, with, with, with the engineering work gets us to a point where we can manage threats a lot better. Um, mm-hmm. And because flight test is sl- somewhat more unknown, uh, you know, we, we can't always predict what's going on. So we, we try and manage that threat uh, so that we never get to the point where James Reason's Swiss cheese model, we line up all the holes and eventually we, we have a smoking hole. Um, so we manage those threats as we, you know, as we plan for test and as we get into test. Uh, and it's something that, uh, that you know all flight test professionals are trained highly uh, in, uh, and we spend a lot of time doing that. Mm-hmm. So that's something as a company that we we do, and and it's something as a company that we're going to get better at uh, as we go through all of these evolutions of, of component testing, acceptance testing, qualification testing, etc. So, but with that, we're, we're going to get there. All right, it's going to be fun. I'm excited. This is going to be going. It's going to mm-hmm. be great. All right. So last segment. I have a list. Oh, good grief. I have a, I have a list of aviator slang here. Here we, here we go. <laughs> Brought to you by Marty, the man behind the camera. Shout out, Marty. So some of these I didn't know. So I'm, I'm curious to see how we do here. All right. First one here is ACM. Yeah, combat maneuvering. <laughs> oh, man. Or air cycle machine. Okay. So I want you to say what it is and also like what it also is like do you mind giving a definition for the folks who don't know sure yeah air combat maneuvering is uh, is basically what you see them doing in top gun uh it's fighter maneuvering mm-hmm. and and essentially that's that's what air combat maneuvering is it's it's you can't just say hey we're going to go and have a dogfight. you have to give it a three-letter acronym so <laughs> acm is what we do nice all right next one aoa angle of attack angle of attack all right what is that that's your wings angle of incidence with regards to the oncoming air that was the textbook answer. Nice. Mm-hmm. All right. Next, we have bat decoder. Oh, that's a navy one. That bat decoder is. Let me get this. Oh, good grief! This is a long time ago. Isn't that the book you have to decode the signals from the AWACS or one of those? The yeah, joint or one of those. Yeah, you got it. Okay. Yeah, a sheet of paper carried on all flight operations that is the key to current airborne communication codes. There we go. Nice. <laughs> Next, we got blower. It's reheat. Yeah, or, af- after or afterburner. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. A- afterburner. Let's see. Okay. Reheat. Bravo Zulu. Well done. Man, Nick, you're <laughs> dunking here, man. <laughs> Let's see. Cherubs. Nope. You've lost me on that one. Altitude in hundreds e- of feet. Yeah, yeah. Did you know this one? Cherubs. Cherub Distance three ADL. is three hundred feet. Yeah. Did you know this one? Yeah. Oh, I, I had never heard of that one. Yeah, that's a that that one's that one's weird. Yeah. yeah. Angels I've heard of cherubs. Yeah, I haven't. It, it's like yeah. they're like tiny angels. Tiny angels. Tiny yeah. angels. And uh-huh. Is feet. is an angel a different unit angels of measurement? Thousand feet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Cherub is a little baby angel. So. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh-huh. Let's see. Deadhead. That's when you take a flight from some place to another place and you're not actually doing any flying. Yeah. 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 Pilot flying as a passenger. There you go. Yeah. All right. Go fasters. No. I don't know this one. I didn't know that one. Running shoes. Okay. (laughs) How how is that? Is that an aviation term? Maybe. Marty? I got to grab my go fasters. It's like shoes. Really? All right. Go juice. Jet A. Yeah. Jet fuel or coffee. I was going to say coffee. Maybe, yeah. But. You shouldn't get those two mixed. Are you feeling the airplane or are you or feeling the, you the human? I, I yeah. guess either. It could be both. Yeah. yeah. I mean, everyone loves the smell of jet fuel in the morning, right? Right. Yes. It's the smell of freedom. I think there's only one person who actually does, and it's Glenn. Like, there was a while where Glenn was looking at Jet A scented candles on Etsy. Nice. And it, we got to be testing more. If, if I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I think this was before we, we were finding the engine. We, we can yeah. just make our own. We could very easily. Yeah. I was a little terrified because Jet A smells atrocious. I, it's you, amazing. It, you got to love it. I've slowly been. <laughs> we're getting it. We'll, we'll get you there. Baby, baby steps. Don't worry. All right. Next, we got Goat Locker. Nope. Yeah. All the high ups hang out. I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say something about greatest of all time, but. Maybe. 
All right, next one, HOTAS. Hands on throttle and stick. Yeah, what is a HOTAS? What is that? That's your stick and throttle. So it's got buttons on it as well. You know, in addition to being controlling your your attitude and your, your thrust, you also have buttons for the radio and other functions you may want to use in flight. So weapons, etc. Nice. Yeah. And then we have, of course, VTAS, voice throttle and stick. Oh, I didn't know that one. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. All right, next we have poopy suit. Ah, uh, yes. Dry suit, immersion suit. Yeah. Oh, I, I also did not know that. Is that a specific context-based thing where you'd wear a poopy it, it, it's, suit? It's, it's a survival survival gear. Okay, So, yeah, gotcha. you're, you're cold water. You don't want to get hypothermia ah, okay. immediately. Yeah. You'll get it eventually. Nice. You used yeah. to use them in the UK a lot. Yeah? Mm-hmm. The tracks. All right, next we have Nugget. <laughs> That's the, the newest guy on the carrier. Yeah. <laughs> I was immediately thinking about, like, chicken McNuggets. We are not the same. Um, (laughs) 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 All right. Three more. Okay. Here we go. Sierra Hotel. Shit hot. Yeah. What is is that? When would a pilot say shit hot? Oh, when they're they're having fun. They they did a really good job. They were shit hot. Nice. Or they're just shit hot. I mean, all pilots are shit hot. When when are pilots not shit (laughs) hot? That's the question. (laughs) They're always shit hot. They're always shit hot. Especially test pilots. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. That is... That is their way of being. Sweet. Next we have Winchester. Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. Lost that one. Out of weapons. Well, that's a bad place to be. Yeah. yeah. That's not where you want to be. Don't, don't want to be Winchester. Uh, let's see. Next we have Zoom Bag. No. Flight suit. Hmm. Really? Interesting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we usually call that a grow bag, or I do at least. A grow bag? A grow bag, yeah. It's green and it's full of shit. It's, oh, yeah. Okay. P- Pilots have weird names for things. <laughs> it's like someone really made something up once and it's like, that's uh-huh. great. Use that forever. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like it's a small enough community that it, is. It, that yeah, it may everything, every, everyone has the same inside job. Yeah. 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 I feel like exactly. all, all test pilots know each other. You share uh-huh. like one group me or something. I think it, it's, it's a pretty, pretty small close. community. Yeah. I actually, um, I looked at. Uh, a post from Empire Test Pilot School um, last week. They just graduated their last class from last mm-hmm. year. And in the 75 years that Empire Test Pilot School has been going, they've only ever graduated 1,500 people. Ever? Ever. And there are six test pilot schools in the world. Uh-huh. Not all of those schools have been going for 75 years. So, yeah, there's, there's you can it's, do a, it's a very yeah. small mm-hmm. community. Yeah. Sweet. Well, that's all the fun facts I had for today. Just want to say thanks for everyone's time. This has been such a lovely episode of the podcast. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's been fun. fun. <laughs> Good stuff. Mm-hmm.